My guest today is publicist and author Jennifer Coburn. We follow her from her New York prep school to University of Michigan to San Diego. Still partially a New Yorker at heart, she loves San Diego now. She's published several books and optioned one for a movie. Her new book, Cradles of the Reich, is scheduled for release in September 2022. A Handmaid's Tale-esque story about a real Nazi birth camp where they try to breed two million perfect little Germans. It's true, it's fascinating, you gotta check it out. Hear how her introverted husband proposed during an improv show, and she thought he was ruining the scene. She also volunteers at Reality Changers, an organization that helps underprivileged high school students prep for college or the job market. She sings poorly, shares freely, laughs loudly, and tells some great stories. So sit down, turn on, tune in, and turn up this episode of Tony on the Mic! Our story begins as these stories often do. So, so let me just ask okay. you, and then I'm gonna tell you some batshit crazy shit about Nazis. I'm sorry, okay. can I curse when on this? Children tell our story. When our children tell our story. I, I just burped. That's oh, that's you do that right on the mic. Better be out- edited out. <laughs> no, the burp. That's gonna be in the promo at the beginning. Good. <laughs> yeah. And meaning. You have no control. Who lives? Who dies? Who I feel like one of those white people who are like, I like rap, and they're like, name a song. And like, oh, um, you know that one about um. Story. That one was just. Those people are assholes. That's what I'm saying. Right? You come here, you do Tony's podcast, you better sit down and listen listen. to it. I'm a lot like you were. You were not lying when you said you're a bad singer. Wow. (laughs) I'm not listening to this podcast. I have to say, that's the most amazing story I ever heard. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time you listen to this fine podcast product. My name is Tony Lawrence, and I'm Tony on the mic. Today, I am joined by a author slash publicist, Jennifer Coburn. Say hi, Jennifer. Hi, how are you? Good. I understand you are, were born in New York City. Let's start from the birth, and that's still your home base, or your home where you feel at home? Uh, it's where I feel at home. Well, no, I feel at home in San Diego. San okay. Diego is my home. I've been here for 30 years, Okay, but um, I do consider myself a new yorker at okay heart. still yeah yeah still. it's funny i grew up in chicago and and i i think people like us in that regard are lucky is that i feel very at home in chicago i feel very at home in san diego and it's good to have homes mm-hmm. good to be able to go places i you, feel like my personality is more new york than san diego but i'm more com- i mean how are you not comfortable yeah. here in oh, san diego goodness. with the sunshine no kidding um, I'll let you know how your personality at the end. Yeah, if you're a San Diegan or a New Yorker, there's a there's a litmus test. <laughs> Is there? Oh boy! Now I'm nervous. I didn't study. No, nope, it's a pop quiz. Dwight School, Dwight Prep School. Tell me about that. What is what is that? Uh, it's a small private school. It was on the Upper East Side. Now it's on the Upper West Side. And um, it's let's see. Um, I guess. It's one of my regrets in life. That really? I, yeah. Not that I went there, but that I went there feeling like such a fish out of water. Mm. I went there and felt, I guess a more apt way to describe it is an, an economic interloper. Oh, okay. It was a school with very wealthy kids. Their parents were all... Um, rich and i was not i grew mm. up in stuyvesant town in greenwich village we were always struggling always kind of trying to just barely get by and i thought okay i'm gonna go i got a scholarship to go there for high school nice. 
Um, I thought, I'm just going to keep my head down. I'm going to be quiet. And nobody's going to figure out that I don't really belong there. Now, looking back, I'm in touch with a lot of the students who went there. And they were nice kids. I yeah. should have just yeah. walked up and said, hi, yep. I'm you're you know let's go to your house after right school. right because <laughs> the snacks are better yes and we won't have to travel so far downtown <laughs> yeah i don't have to chan bus transfer right that's no that's great you know what it's i think that's the universal high school tale everybody feels like everybody else has it figured out and has it going on and then we find out later i'm going to my 40th year high school reunion in two weeks wow in somerville south carolina mm. and uh it's the same thing i moved from chicago to south carolina city boy racially mixed didn't feel like i fit in at all and we moved back to chicago and then out but it's uh it's interesting talking to a lot of the high school people who mm -hmm. who are just people everybody's just people well yeah i hooked up with the i'm not hooked up oh but I, hello I, I, connect, <laughs> I connected with this woman that i that went to uh, high school story just with. keeps getting better and, <laughs> and we were talking about books and 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 she said why weren't we best friends in high school and it's not only why weren't we best friends why didn't we even talk mm. and it's because we were from two different cliques yeah. and uh, we just didn't mix but we would have been really a lot of, quite a lot compatible nice. yeah and then how did you pick michigan well, after going to a small prep school that graduated 61 people, I wanted to go to a big 10 rah-rah school that was also a great academic institution. And you couldn't get into Northwestern? So. <laughs> well, I wanted to go Just to... Just my dad um, went to Northwestern. Yeah, well, I wanted to go to a school with a football team that actually won, oh, won every now and touché. then. Touche. Touche. And then you graduated, and, and what did you study there? I studied communications. Communications, yeah. Okay, and that. At what point did you decide you wanted to be a writer? When did the bug set? Have you always been a storyteller? Were you a storyteller as a kid? And... Always been a storyteller okay. in some fashion. Uh, my mother sent me to acting school when ah. I was, uh, you know, because I was always doing imitations. I was always breaking out in song, and she said, as, 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 um, much as I enjoy this, um, <laughs> I do have other things that I need to do, like earn a living. So I'm going to send you to acting school. So that, and there you learn to be a storyteller with your physical self and mm -hmm. your emotional self. But then uh, writing, yeah, I guess I've always been a writer, but okay. I didn't really sit, take it, uh, d didn't pursue it as a career until my. 20s oh wow okay mm -hmm. now when was the first story you remember writing uh, grade school middle school high school mm, boy it must have been it must have been kindergarten oh wow i knew how to write it was a, it was a story about two leaves and huh? um one fell off a tree Ugh. it was fall and then um you know the angst that, that the other one find it did they get well, the other it? one don't don't yeah. well, don't i don't want to spoil no it for you but gonna... the, the, the leaves do end up together okay good yeah. all right i was going to be tense the rest of the thing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in 1988 you moved to san diego yes why uh have you been to michigan in I the winter i've been to michigan so but then Compared to Michigan, you could go almost anywhere for better weather. Well, I had always been fascinated by California culture. Mm. I love New York, but my mother really, I mean, that was my mother's dream to move to New York. And she did that when she was 19. Okay. And then from the time I was about 10 years old and I saw a Frankie Avalon Annette Funicello movie and they were surfing 
in February. Yes. And they <laughs> never seemed to wear jackets. Uh, they they had this fun, carefree lifestyle. And the more I saw TV shows and movies about California, the more I thought, I want to live here. And then I said to my mother, can we move to California? And she said, are you out of your mind? We live in New York City. When you graduate from college, you can go wherever you want. So I did. So you came to San Diego with a song in your heart uh, and uh, dreams and... Well, a song in my heart, but uh, $40 in my pocket. Okay. Just decided that this was the time to do it. So before I got to San Diego permanently, when I was at the University of Michigan, there was this opportunity to sell encyclopedias door-to-door in California. What an opportunity. Yeah. Well, the, uh, the selling, selling encyclopedias wasn't so didn't sound <laughs> so great, but the California part, I mean, they could have they told me, almost anything yeah and if it was in california right. it's gonna go right. so when i talked to people up in the bay area and told them i was going to move here after college every single person that i talked to said if i was 22 years old if i didn't have a mortgage if i didn't have pta meetings if i was in your position i would move to san diego and i thought you know what why not hmm. and that was 30 years ago wow that's you know it's crazy. I got moved here with work. Work. I was in retail, and they, they transferred me here to open a store, and I'm so glad they did mm -hmm. because I've visited a couple times, and I liked it, but I would have never had the fortitude to just say, all right, I'm going to move to San Diego, then figure it out. It's like I had to have a, a plan in place, but it worked out great. Mm -hmm. Great for us. I love this idea that you got married and you met your husband in improv class. Tell me that story. How'd you guys meet, and then... How did that progress? So I went to improv class for the exact same reason that my mom sent me to acting school when I was a kid. I just had a lot of excess energy. I had a lot of um, <laughs> undiagnosed voices in my head. Um, <laughs> we'll call them characters. And I had a lot of energy that I wanted to, a lot of creative energy that I wanted to spend constructively. Yeah. So I signed up for this improv class, and there was this boy who was very shy and as it turned out his sister signed him up for the class because ah. he was shy and he didn't sh he wasn't there for the first two classes and it was because he um drove around the block and didn't come the didn't come in to the first two wow so now do you recommend uh, improv i love improv yes yeah. why why not well a lot of people get a little nervous and it's it's kind of the cliche is like hey come check out my improv show and all your friends go Ugh. <laughs> yeah. I did. I took an improv class in LA, and it was. I thought it was a blast. And then uh, you, you two met, and you fell in love, and we met. <laughs> um, and then after a while, we started uh, dating, and then fell in love. It was okay. very quick when we started dating because we started dating, and six weeks later, we bought a house together. Wow! Mm -hmm. And how long did you know before the six weeks? Did you? Probably six months. Six months. Okay. He seemed like a solid guy and a really nice friend. Wow, you got friend. six months under your belt, so mm -hmm. that'll tell you for sure. <laughs> and then he popped the question? No. Uh, we bought a house together. What? Yeah. Well, we... Wait, wait, wait. You lived together without being married? Yeah. <laughs> we... My guest today has been Jennifer Coburn, the anti-moral... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer slut. Slut. Okay. Yeah, thank yes. you. <laughs> So you moved in. We moved in. It was a good, you know, we, and we had a talk about this. They said, this is in San Diego. You bought a house. This is in San Diego. Okay. We bought a house 
that oh man we shouldn't have sold it we would oh, tell know, me about it yeah really we bought that house for a song anyway um so we bought the house together and after a year and a half we decided to get married a year and a half mm-hmm. okay that's a reasonable i approve of that well it was an economic thing we we took we blew all our money on the house and then we had to save up for a wedding ah i i still i support that too economic is as good a reason as any to get married right green card pregnancy well no no i didn't marry him for (laughs) no it's just we didn't have money for a wedding so we bought the house and then we saved for another year and a half and then we had the wedding nice would you have gotten married if you had tons of money earlier sure yeah that was it Mm -hmm. and well tell me about your wedding was it a big big wedding uh it wasn't big it was about 100 people it was a lot of fun we didn't take it too seriously it wasn't Mm -hmm. like the most important day of my life um the wedding planner was like we have to make sure everything goes perfectly and i said i hope it doesn't go perfectly because um the marriage isn't going to be perfect life isn't going to be perfect so why are we why why would we have a perfect party let let the chips fall where they may that's awesome yeah my wife and i did the same thing we we planned our own wedding and it was wonderfully imperfect (laughs) (laughs) It was a lot of fun. We had, we had people dancing until one and two, one mm. in the morning. Nice. We got kicked out of the venue. Oh, really? That's that's the way to have a party. Yeah, that's the way. That's the way all parties should end. All well, good parties should end with getting kicked out of the venue. As my mother says, uh, it's not travel until someone's arrested. Okay. <laughs> and now, your your mom still in New York? Yeah, my mom is eighty two, still yeah. living in New York. She has she been out to visit? Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Please, I've say. lived here. I've lived here thirty years. Okay, she should. doesn't love San Diego. Really? No, she thinks it's too mellow, and okay. she. I mean, I get that. Yeah, I mean, she gets very impatient. Like we could be third online at the grocery store, and somebody, you know, the cashier will say to the person he or she is dealing with, like, "Hey, how you doing today?" And she'll be third online going who cares how he's doing Stop. there's a line that, and she and her she, this is outrageous everything is outrageous to wow this so so she doesn't really have the patience for yeah. san diego and it's different i i don't any longer have the patience for some of the big city rush you know mm-hmm. and it, i guess impatience i don't have the impatience that because everything is just faster and and cut and dried and i've been trying to beat around the bush to get you to tell me about the proposal Oh, okay, yeah. Um, so the proposal was at a um, an improv show. My teacher had a has a holiday show, and she put us in the very last scene. And I thought that was an odd choice. First, I thought it was an odd choice that she put us together because while we worked very well in life, we weren't we didn't have great stage chemistry. Yep, I get and, it. And. Um, she said, oh, the two of you are going to play the alphabet game. And the alphabet game is where one character, one person starts the sentence with an A. Like, all right, looks like we're going to get started with an interview. And you say, before we do. And I go, okay. come on, Tony. And we try to make something of it. Okay. So I thought, A, the alphabet's game is not really such a great scene i mean that's not such a great it does that's like not a hot trick right. um the second one is really gonna end the show on that and you're gonna end with <laughs> us so i thought eh, you know i'm not gonna I, i'm not gonna micromanage right and so we did the scene and we started out and william starts looking it's a fight it's a couple having a fight over i don't know a christmas tree or something within the alphabet 
game? Right. Okay, all right. And then on I, he starts stuttering and saying, I, 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 I love you. And, and I'm like, I'm thinking, uh. this is not where the scene would be going. <laughs> Why would he be telling me he loves me in the middle of, ugh. And then so I said, just spit it out. Hmm? Nice. So thinking that he's going to go on to K, he said, we met in improv class. And I thought, oh. God. You idiot. And I was like, he's blowing the scene. <laughs> and then he started talking about, you know, what we met in Jackie's class and we fell in love. And I'm thinking, this is the worst scene ever. <laughs> but then he reached into his pocket and pulled out a ring and said, Jennifer. And I thought, well, at least it's a J. Right. Good. Um, he said, Jennifer, I love you and I want to spend the rest of my life with you. And then I thought, we are supposed to do we're not supposed to use props what is this oh wow that's i have a feeling this is for real and that's when i realized and everybody in the audience realized that this was an actual proposal wow and it was wonderful because we had a built-in engagement party oh. i said yes we, did uh, you wait to Y, or did you just no, skip straight actually, to... No, okay. I, I messed up. I tried to bring it back to K. Okay. And, uh, Kiss me, you fool. I'm, that's what I should have said. Listen, years of regrets. <laughs> uh, I, I, I keep thinking of a line that was better that I right, could right. have said. <laughs> right. And um, and then uh, we had a party. Nice. Everybody was there, and we celebrated. And then we wow. went back to the house that we owned. Yes, right. <laughs> Uh, so it was re it was a wonderful thing that he did and he William would have proposed to me out in the desert or something quiet but uh, he went way out of his uh, comfort zone to do something nice. that would please me that's awesome and that is my number one criteria in husband yes. so. <laughs> well hey that's a fantastic story Seriously, I, when when you when you submitted that I went oh we got to talk about this this is great. That's a, that's a great story. Now, you had a uh, overachieving daughter who couldn't wait to come out. Is that correct? Um, I wouldn't say she's overachieving. Mm -hmm. She's a high achiever. High and, achiever. Uh, okay. She's not overachieving. Yeah, you she's you, amazing. So she's achieving just as she should be. Just as she's achieving at the perfect level. And she didn't come out. She's Did, did, she, come, did she come out to you? What no, come she? out early of you. She came out of oh, you. Oh, she was premature. I <laughs> yes. thought you were saying she was gay. Oh, is I, she? No. Okay, I didn't. I mean, listen, God bless if she was. Right. But, no, I... but when you said coming out, that's where my head went. Oh, I, I, I'm, I... Researching a, I'm researching a book right now on LGBT history. Ah. So when you said coming out, I, that is exactly where I went. I, ah. I, no, like, I meant she coming out of you. Coming out. Yeah, she came out at eight months. Okay. Which, which I call AP birth. AP you know, birth. You know. <laughs> nice. She was just very advanced. Yeah, and uh, hasn't looked back since. No, she hasn't. Good. That's great. I have uh, I have three kids. Let me think. 25, 23, and 19. Ah, nice. And, Mine's uh, 24. Right in the middle. They all, in some universe, could have been friends. <laughs> <laughs> 2004 was your first book, Wife of Riley? Yes. Well, yes and no. Okay. I had a book in 1995, which was a book about sexual harassment at the workplace. But my first novel okay. was The Wife of Riley, and that was a book about a woman who secretly tries to find a new 
wife for her soon-to-be ex-husband. So it was a romantic comedy. Nice. And, um, yeah, that was, that was the first. Mm. This was the first one I had published. Yeah, how many had you written before? Now, did you finish books, or was that your first actual, like, completed project? Because me, I have ten unfinished. I had a book called Tales from the Crib, which I wrote and did not sell. And I started writing The Wife of Riley so I wouldn't, so I would busy myself and not bother my agent and say, did it sell? Did it sell? What's the news? Because as you know, your agent can fire you. So I um, occupied myself with another book. And then that's the one that sold okay. first. When you say sold, you mean sold to an, a publisher? To not a sold. publisher, okay. yes. Because yes. I saw you did, you did ultimately sell... Tales from the Crib, right? And didn't I see that? I did, your... I did. Okay. Well, I sold I sold a different version of Tales from the Crib. The title survived in about six pages out of three hundred and fifty. <laughs> um, that's that's all that survived. Ah, uh, well. I, all... I, you know what? I learned how to not write a book. Oh, that's important. Mm -hmm. I know a million ways not to write a book. <laughs> I'm I'm hoping to find one <laughs> to write one to finish it. So good. Now I think we got to know you, your history, your family, your school. And one little tradition we have right before we go to the first commercial break is the guests sing a commercial jingle or a TV theme song of your choice. Oh, boy. Um, let's see. Um, okay, what's what, a TV jingle? Uh, 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 Flintstones. Meet the Flintstones. They're a modern Stone Age family. <laughs> From the town of Bedrock, they're a place right out of history. Right That's pretty close. That's right. With the family down the street, town of that can't be beat. When with the Flintstones, have a yeah, have a yabba dabba do time, a dabba do time. We'll have a gay old time. See, again, I go right. right to the gay. That was it. Yeah, it's all, wow, it's all, it, you're encompassed right now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for indulging me. That's going to sound. I, I should have just, I should have just said, come to the honeycomb hideout. Yeah. Yes. That would have been quicker. But not near as fun. Yeah, yeah. true. So what are you going to do? All right, so first commercial break, Rick Villapondu at Alante Construction. If you need construction in San Diego County, from the border to North County, from the desert to the ocean, call Big Rick at Alante Construction. Alante. Whoa. Construction. Whoa. When you need some work on your home and you want a professional job, you can call on Big Rick, cause that man is so slick, and then you will enjoy peace of mind. You can leave all confusion and all disillusion behind. If it's a new kitchen or patio, just call on Daddy-O. Alante, whoa. Construction. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, this is going on for Big Rick. Rick and Lante Construction. San Diego County, top to bottom, left to right. He handles all your needs. No job too big or too small. You want it done and done right? Call Big Rick. And I am back with my guest today, author Jennifer Coburn. 
you have a new piece of historical fiction you're working on. I do. It's coming out in September 2022. Cradles from the Reich is about three very different German women who meet at a Nazi Lebensborn breeding program and change the trajectory of one another's lives. They are three women who represent the different faces of German citizens, the resistor, the complicit, and the one who's just like, eh, I guess this, you know, I'm just going along to get along, you know, okay. ind indifferent. Right. So Lebensborn Project, or Lebensborn Project? Lebensborn Program, program. Lebensborn Project, yeah. Okay, so the Lebensborn, Lebensborn Program, that's real, but your characters are, are fictional. Right. But the program is, is was real, and they, they would, you said breeding program? What is yeah, so the Lebensborn program was a secret breeding program, and it had three different tracks. It started out with a goal of producing two million new Holy children moly. for the master race. Right. So what they did at first was if there were German women of racial value, and I'm putting air quotes because that's what they called it, um, of racial value who were pregnant and unmarried and abortion was illegal for German citizens. Fine for others, but German mm. citizens, not so much. And they, and they would give her a racial screening and, and if she met the criteria and could prove that the father of the child also met the criteria, then she would go to this breeding home. And there were somewhere between 25 and 32 breeding homes give birth to a baby and give it up for adoption to a good German family. So that was track one. And, and, and only only 40% of the women who applied for this program qualified. Because, really? Well, because you have to prove three generations back that you are um, not Jewish, you have no mental illness, you have no um, genetic Three generations. Three generations. Wow. So you're you're bringing baptism records. You're bringing letters of recommendation from. So people would apply to be in this program. Oh yeah, yeah. I it mean, was... I guess it just sounds absurd at this. You know. It... It was considered an honor to have a have a child for Hitler. Wow. So, yeah. So that was one track. Then they found young women who were you know diehard Nazis and they and if they were of genetic value they said or racial value they said you can come to this home and you don't have to work you don't there are no rations we have a beautiful estate in the country you can fence you can do your needlework you can laze around wow. but every now and then we're going to bring some soldiers to the house <laughs> And you are going to have sex with them and, with the hopes of getting pregnant, giving birth, and then that child w is the property of the Reich. That is so dumbfounding to me right now. It's just now, astounding. It's astounding. Yeah. Now I'm going to blow you away. Oh, yeah. Okay. Right? Because I'm on the edge. Because the sex parties <laughs> aren't enough. Um, so five years into this program they realized like we are just not producing babies in the volume that we had hoped so they when world war ii started in 1939 they uh, the nazis invaded several countries and when they were there soldiers identified 
babies and toddlers who looked Aryan, they would give them a genetic screening there. They had these tools where they had little samples of skin color. Little, no. Oh, yeah. Like color little, swatches? Color swatches of <laughs> hair, of skin, and of eyes. Oh, my Lord. And then they would measure their heads with calipers, and then they would um, look at how long their nose was, how far apart their eyes were set, and if it was... Um, if they determined that this child was of Aryan descent, then they would kidnap that child. Wow. Sometimes killing the parents <gasps> in the process. Now, let me just throw out a little pop quiz for okay. you. How many infants and toddlers, and sometimes older children, but mainly it was an infant and toddler program. Uh, no, let me back up. Before, okay. before you guess okay. how many children this happened to. So... They'd bring the children to Germany. If the baby was six months old, the Germanization pro processed, and, and that is what they called it, Germanizing. Germanization. Wow. Germanizing a child. Wow. So if six months old, they say, okay, your name is Hans. That's it. That's the process. But if you're three or four years old, especially if you're a little boy, because the little boys rebelled a lot. They were like, you're not my, you're not my mom. Right. They'd send them to concentration camps. What? Yes. So now here's- No, the wait, wait, wait. Mm -hmm. they, they t t until they complied or no they, they, you're killed, done they you... killed them little yeah. kids little kids so you know the nazis killed little jewish kids too uh, i did know that yeah i so, i, I, killing I guess, children was not a big deal to them i guess not nazis were bad huh not only were they bad they were actually batshit crazy too yeah, the no, things that bananas. the things that they did so so let me just ask okay. you and then i'm gonna tell you some batshit crazy shit about nuts i'm sorry okay. can i curse on this you can okay. i'll determine if i want to beep it or not okay. so far you're okay so far batshit crazy is okay batshit crazy okay. <laughs> all right so uh, let's put a little pin, pin in in, in batshit okay okay how many children do you think were stolen by the nazis between the years 1939 and 1945. Okay, so we're talking six years mm -hmm. of war and just stolen, not impregnated or raised on the thing. Just, just stolen. Taken from peripheral countries. Yep. 10,000. 200,000. 100,000 from Poland alone. 100,000 kids from Poland. Yep. 200,000 kids. Total. Any percentages of who made it and who they sent to the little... Most made it. Okay. Most made it. I guess um, that's good. They were adopted by German families, and they were given... Oh, now here we're going to go to batshit city. Okay. Now. So here's <laughs> batshit number one. Really, I'm really so glad you gave me permission to use that word. I'm now overusing okay. it. Okay. Use it. Batshit number one. Okay. All right. They would give you, when you were a Lebensborn baby, they would give you a little silver cup that was engraved with your name, and Heinrich Himmler was your honorary godfather. Daddy? So, no, your godfather. So there were children who had no idea that they were Lebensborn babies. And when their parents died, so they are like 60 and 70 years old, they go up to the attic and they're deciding what goes and what's, you know, what stays and what they give away. And they go, huh, look at this cup and then they 
they shine it up a little bit and they see their name on it and then they do a little digging and they realize that they're actually Czechoslovakian. They're well, actually Polish. Polish. Well, and they were stolen by the Nazis and and rehomed. And they went their whole life without knowing. Their whole life without knowing. So when a child was born in the Nazi uh, Lebensborn program. I'm beginning not to like Nazis. <laughs> right. <laughs> It's not a lot to like. So, so they would have. So, say a girl, a young woman, gave birth, and she uh, honored her contract and handed the baby over. And then a new family would come, and they'd pick pick up the baby, and they'd say, "Oh, here's little Adolf," and they would have a naming ceremony. And at the naming ceremony, a Nazi official would take a sword out of his scabbard. Is it okay? Sheath and. I'm embarrassed to say, as a former D&D enthusiast, that's Dungeons and Dragons, that a scabbard is the same as a sheath. I thought a scabbard was a different type of sword. So who knew that a sheath and a scabbard were the same thing? Well, I guess Jennifer did, but I had no idea. The more you know. Well, anyway, somehow that sword got out of the little sheath thing. And the tip of the sword was put on the baby's stomach, and that was... I don't know, I guess the magic wand where they said you're uh, you're a Nazi now. And that wow. baby at two weeks old became a, a member of the Nazi party. Wow. So I that wouldn't was, call it much of a party. That doesn't sound like a party at that's, all. <laughs> I mean, that's weird. And then also uh, Heinrich Himmler believed that he was the reincarnation of, is it Heinrich? Oh boy, is it Heinrich King Heinrich Heinrich won the Fowler some you know what? He believed he was reincarnated from somebody way back and that alone sounds strange. That's it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> not that you know, not that look, I you know, I maybe who knows? Maybe there is reincarnation. Knows, yeah. But but you don't get to choose like, oh I'm a, I'm actually right. a I'm a Nordic god. <laughs> um, and that's here's another thing about the Nazis. So Himmler and uh, and by the way, this Lebensborn program was Himmler's Himmler's uh, brainchild. Okay. Himmler and Hitler and Goebbels who said Oh, the perfect, the perfect master ray, the perfect children, blonde hair, blue eyes, and tall. All short. Huh. They had blue eyes. All short. None of them had blonde hair. And Goebbels had a club foot. So That's how, how are they? Um... The arbiter of perfection. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> wow. It's hard to go anywhere from Nazis. Well, <laughs> but I'm gonna try. Okay, I mean, I, the, it was it was a fascinating book to research because, um, you know, I, I don't want to I don't want people to walk away with the impression that this is just a book about the program. It's really a book about women's relationships in impossible circumstances because that's really when you see what a person is made of. You can say, "I am kind, I am generous," but until you are put in a position where it's difficult to be kind and generous you really don't know who you are so these women are put in a pressure cooker where they find out what they who they are and what they're made of and what they believe in Hmm. how long how long is the timeline as an arc of the story not long i wanted to make it nine months for obvious reasons but it 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 starts in 
April 1939 and it ends right after the war begins in October 1939. So it's a really, it's a really um, short, it's a compressed period of okay. time. And then, I don't want to spoil any of these women, now I they volunteered to be part of this? They were selected and they acquiesced? Did they... So, yeah. So it won't spoil it for me okay. to tell you that. I, I wanted these women to represent the three different faces right. of, of Gentile Germany. One is a resistor. She is unbeknownst to, unbeknownst right. to anybody. She is the, I mean, other than herself, she, um, she is pregnant with the child of her Jewish boyfriend. And she was active in the Nazi resistance. Gundi. Gundi. So I'm just she, guessing because I got the three names. So I'm one for one. So she did not want to be part of the Lebensborn program, but she was coerced okay. or threatened. The other one okay. is all in. She loves the Nazi party, loves what they're doing. She got pregnant on purpose with, a, with, the, with the child of a married SS officer. Oh, my. That sounds like Tritz. Am I saying that right? That's... Well, Trutz is the real person. Hildy, Hildy in the book is um, is is yes, but um, wait, Trutz is Hildy. So Hildy Trutz is a real person, oh. and I based my character on Hildy Hildegard Trutz. Ah, but who, was Trutz another character? There's no, a, she's not a she's not a character. Ah, she's a real that. person, okay. and so here there's there's some controversy. Like when you're researching Nazis, it's difficult because they, at the end of the war they burned a lot of documents, yes. and they burned all of their most of their Lebensborn. Uh, documents. So there is no disputing that the, that there was a maternity home, and there is no disputing that these children were kidnapped. Where there is some debate is whether they had sex parties and they had actual breeding happening. So some people say, no, that didn't happen. That's just, um, that's the Nazis would never do no. such a thing. No. But other people, like Hildegard Trutz, said it was there. I mean, I I was there. Right. It was wonderful. Wow. I got to eat all of the food that I wanted. All, there were no sugar, no rations at all, and I had the time of my life there. And I gave birth to a child who uh, who was a, a soldier's kid, and hmm. I saw him one night, never again, and I loved it, and I'm I re okay. and I regret nothing. Wow. Now, did most of the women have just one child? No, 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 no. Okay. So, okay. so. Nazi culture was a cult of motherhood. Okay. They really promoted motherhood. And one of the things that they did was they said good German families have four or more children. So to promote this, in 1939, Himmler came up with this program where he would give mothers of four or more children a metal called a Mutterkross and it was an iron cross you get a bronze one if you have four or more children you get a silver one if you have six or more children and a gold one if you have eight or more children Holy now moly. at the first at the first ceremony where they gave these 
medals out, there was one woman who had 17 children, and they gave her a, a diamond-encrusted one. And I should say, not just, not just four children or more, four healthy children. So if you had three children and then a fourth child was born with a physical deformity, you don't get the cross. You don't get the medal. And the benefit of this medal that you would wear every day proudly is when the Hitler Youth and the girls division, the Bundesdeutschemädel, would see you in the street, they would have to salute you. They'd have to stop and salute you as if you were the Fuhrer himself. Wow. So this was a huge deal. And, you know, women who had two kids, three kids, they, they started producing more yeah. and then they started adopting children who were stolen from Poland. Uh, and Now, did that count if you adopted absolutely. them? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I'd go that route. I mean, I've never given birth. But if I'm just trying to get the cross, I'm 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 adopting. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not about the cross. It's about you know Isn't being. It? Yeah, Isn't it's, it it, no, it's did, about. Did you see the diamond encrusted cross? That's a pretty. <laughs> <laughs> it's about um, being somebody who contributes to the to greater society. good of Germany. That is bananas. I know. That is bananas. I, I know. So motherhood was a big thing. German. I, I always forget. Is Germany the motherland or the fatherland? Fatherland. Okay. Yeah. Russia's the motherland. I don't know. I don't know. But the fatherland. Okay. Would have been more kind of poetic if it was the motherland. That's what I wanted to name We're the gonna, book, by the way. The motherland? I wanted to just name it Motherland. Nice. But no. Well, there were three other books by that title, so it could get confusing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's... That's always too bad when somebody else, their books weren't near as good as yours is going to be. So they Actually, should, they were quite good. Oh, I was so. going to say, they should have to give up their title so you could have it. <laughs> yeah, that's how it works. Um, now, how did you get someone to, to bite on this idea? Was it, did you uh, shotgun it to a million different people? Did you go, was there somewhere targeted to somebody like the first person who read it? So this is a great idea. So, um, so you first pitch it to an agent and then the agent pitches it to editors at publishing houses okay. so i sent it to several agents uh many many of them liked the idea mm -hmm. uh one uh, this is the range of this is the range of feedback that i got one wrote to me and said i really like the idea but i didn't like the characters the writing or the um the characters the writing or the voice and I said, "What well, did you did you like the font that I right. chose? Did, yeah. <laughs> right. What so did you exactly like that about was, it? That was horrible because at that point, I didn't know that there was going to be a happy ending to this story. Yeah. So I was like, oh, my God, this book sucks. She's right. She knows best. She's the expert. And then, thankfully, several days later, I got a call from an agent who was extremely... Um, she liked she loved the book she wanted to represent it and she was very um excited about nice. it let's just say and nice. i thought i like that woman's energy and i'm going to yeah. go with her and then she was able to sell the book in 10 days and she had an she had an auction for it now which, that's not common right 10 days is no. okay and, and let me just say this i i say oh my god i had there was an auction after 10 days right. and it may say i'm not it may sound like i'm like tooting my own horn but let, let me just say Toot away. Well, here's the thing. I've been doing this for 18 years, and that has never happened before. The offers before have been like this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, no, this is a good book. Um, why don't we give you um, 
crap for it and um <laughs> and then we'll run crap copies of it and we'll do crap marketing and uh, sure yeah we'll publish it so so now that i had an enthusiastic sale oh, i like yeah. i am like oh my god i can't believe it there has this the the path to the success of this book god willing the success will continue but the the path to the success of the sale of this book has been paved with abject failure humiliation and and just moistened with tears well that's a cheery news for someone Isn't who's that <laughs> So you're well, telling me no. don't quit the pool business? No, that... <laughs> no. Actually, what I'm telling you is is that um, a couple things. Don't get bummed out when the person calls and says they don't like your story, they don't like your voice, or they don't like your what? My as long as you use the right font. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and then also it it takes it takes a while. Like it or it took, I should say it took me a while. I had I had middling books. <clears throat> for 18 years before I got a, a, a book that I'm, I'm hoping will do Gets well. Gets a momentum. I'm, I'm, nice. That has momentum like it hasn't had before. Who are some of your favorite authors, contemporaries? I love Emily Giffen. I love Jane Green. Robin Oliveria has is one of my favorites. I love Susan Meisner, Michelle Gable. I love Kate Quinn, uh, Christina McMorris. I just honestly what... any men authors? Is there any men that can write? Oh no, they can write. Um, <laughs> it's not that they can't write. It's just I'm really interested in women's stories, mm -hmm. so they don't tend to write those. I, I like Tom Parada a lot. I think okay. he's able to really make a lot of interesting social commentary, and and frankly does it through the lens of female characters quite beautifully. But mm -hmm. primarily, I read women writers. Okay, so are you gonna read my book when it comes out? No. Okay. Just <laughs> yes, of course I'm gonna read your book. You just won't like the the font. Well, you know, <laughs> it's, a man, it's a manly font. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> you list Jane Green. Uh, how long have you liked her? And then you guys got to work together on a project. I, was, oh, I saw yeah. you guys get a, like a co byline on a book. What was, how did that happen? Well, that was just sheer luck on my part because Jane Green is a goddess. Ah. And my publisher said, How would you like to be in an, in an anthology with Jane Green? And, um, and I thought, Yes, please. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so we got to work on a book called This Christmas, which was three novellas all that happened in the Christmas season. Right. Oh, nice. I saw. I just saw it on the thing, the list of books. I was going to call it your IMDb page. What, what do they call it for authors? Is it just like a book list? Yeah, Goodreads page. Goodreads? Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of the equivalent to like an IMDb for movies. No. A little different. Okay. A little different. Oh, well. Okay. That's great. Um, we're going to take another commercial break. And this time, we're going to thank Morning Briefing Coffee. When you want that gourmet coffee. Mmm. God damn, Jimmy. This some serious gourmet shit. Me and Vincent would have been satisfied with some freeze-dried tasty's choice, right? <laughs> Nice brings this serious gourmet shit on. What flavor is this? Like an off chewing. What? I don't need you to tell me how good my coffee is, okay? I'm the one who buys it. I know how good it is. Bonnie goes shopping, she buys I buy the morning briefing. Because when I drink it, I want to taste it. When you want to taste your coffee, when you want that serious gourmet coffee, the best part of waking up coffee, good to the last drop, tastes as good as it smells, you'll always want a second cup coffee. 
When you want that, get locally roasted morning breathing coffee right here in La Mesa. He makes custom blends and you always get top quality fresh coffee. Morning breathing coffee. When you want that gourmet So it sounds like uh, wife of Riley kind of got you on the map. That was that was a big deal, and and down, did it sell very well? How, how many copies? Or I don't know what's a, the measure is. You know, it did not sell. None of my books have sold very well. <laughs> Actually, you know what? That's not true. My book uh, will always have Paris, which is a mother daughter travel memoir, sold mm -hmm. well. But my four novels before that were really what you call like really middle mid level performers. Okay. Um, like just just enough to get me another contract hey well that's that's the steps right and wife of riley was optioned for film which was really exciting that is exciting but uh the movie never came to be i mean we got so close oh. so close they, they were casting it and then really it, yeah and, and then, see oh that that to me would be just the coolest craziest existential thing in the world just watching from the outside it was. That's really cool. And you got paid, though, right? For I, the... I did. Nice. Right, I got paid. And see, I don't believe that that's all that matters. I don't believe it's... I would rather have my movie made and not be paid mm -hmm. than be paid and not have my movie made, if that makes sense. I mean, to me, obviously, I want to have a movie paid, made and get paid. Right. But, you know, if given the choice, I would like to say, hey, that's mine, rather than... And you're assuming that they would do a good job with it. That, yes, of course. So, I mean, there is a good chance that you go to the movie theater and um, and you are <laughs> horrified at what they have done with your baby. Yeah. Um, one thing, my, my book was a romantic comedy, so one thing I hate in romantic comedies is when they chime in that music where they are telling the audience, we don't trust you to, to know that this is suspense, so we have to go dun-dun-dun-dun. And I think I'm gonna take that little soundbite you just made and use it as suspense music from now on. Well, no, that's mischief music. Oh, okay. Th then there's the sneaking. I hate it. If your <laughs> script is not good enough and your filming is not good enough to let me know that I'm should be I should be in suspense, do not cheat. And, 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 add that. and add that horrible That's music. how I feel about laugh tracks, period, in general. They make me, I can't, I can no longer watch a show with laugh tracks. I just can't do it. Yeah. Because I know when to laugh. I know when it's funny. And the, the constant patter of the canned laughter makes me crazy. Right, right. And we are back <laughs> today. My guest, Jennifer Coburn, uh, movie mobile, movie mogul. She sold, she sold the movie. Uh, didn't quite get made, but that's good. And four novels and your fifth historical novel. Is that what they call it? Uh, my, my fifth book is a, a mother-daughter travel memoir called okay. we'll, we'll Always Have Paris. Okay. And I don't think we touched on that. So what did your... 
you wrote that with your daughter? Was it about you and your daughter? It was about it was, well, you know, it started out being me about me and my daughter. So when you're when you're writing a novel, you have to write the whole damn thing before you sell it. But when you're writing a nonfiction book, you put together a proposal and you mm. sell that. So I sold a proposal to a publisher or my agent did and I was like here's going to be this story about this mother and this daughter who traveled to 12 European cities and they said great we'll take it based on 50 pages okay what I delivered was very, very different <laughs> and they said we're I'm glad we like this because this is not what we bought oh wow um it turned out so so I took my daughter traveling because I was afraid of dying young as my father did mm. and I thought okay well if I die young I want to stuff her mental um, her scrapbook her right. with memories and I said okay let me take her we can't afford to do this but I'm going to do it anyway I'm going to take her to Paris I'm going to take her to England to, to London and and I had no plans on writing a book and we had such a wonderful time and it was such a beautiful connection and but how, I, how old was she at the she time? was eight when we started okay. and the book ended when she was 16 oh. but what happened when i was writing the book is i thought okay well i have to explain why i'm taking this child and i said okay so i have this fear of death and then i'm like oh and let me tell you a little bit about my father well my father who died 35 years ago would love the fact that he posthumously elbowed his way into this book, into a starring role in this book. It is, it's half travels and then half flashback to growing up with oh, my dad in okay. the 1970s and 80s in New York City. And it's kind of this toggling back and forth between being being the parent and being parented yeah. so that's what it is nice. and thank god my um now it, so what did, it sounds like except the flash i guess you didn't put the flashbacks in when no you, i put when all you, the flashbacks i mean but when you sold it originally with 50 pages what, oh, yeah, what yeah, did 50, what was not represented uh what was not represented yeah. not what what was not represented was any of the flashbacks okay it was <laughs> going to be like we went here we went there we went here and that's was interesting to tell but honestly my daughter and I have this really weird relationship where we don't have any conflict she's 24 years old people always think I'm lying when I say this but when she's 24 years old we have never had a fight wow we just just get along really really well well that's not interesting Bragger. well uh, now here I'm gonna I'm talking <laughs> I'm bragging I'm gonna tell you it's boring Oh. To not to be in the to be in the relationship right. is delightful. Oh, right. I see what you're saying. But I to gotcha. write about it is like, and then we went here and had a good time, <laughs> and then we went there, and it was lovely. And then she said this, and I thought it was terrific. Boring, <laughs> boring to write about. Boring to read about. So then, I started just thinking about. My own childhood, the conflict started rising. I started really appreciating my own mother and what she went through. And, and, it's, and, and the stories that I had been telling my whole life to myself about my childhood, I would look back at in the writing process and they were different. For example, oh. my father died and his, oh, his, step, his, his wife was wackadoodles. Really, re everybody says, "Oh, my stepmother's crazy," but no, like legit crazy. So she 
long story short, my father told my stepmother, stop painting the house white. I have lung cancer and I've just been to chemotherapy. The paint is kind of bothering me. I will be dead soon. And when I die, you, you can, can paint. Painting the you house. can finish painting the house. And she said, oh, I just have the piano. I just, one more thing to finish. And he said, look, I am on month nine of a six-month life expectancy. I, you will have, it, the time will come soon when you can paint that piano. So I called her I called my father I called him to say goodbye I'm leaving on spring break and she picks up the phone and I said can you put my dad on the phone she said uh no I can't and I said well is he sleeping she said well he's resting and I said what are you saying are you did he is he dead and she said I don't like that word oh my word I know I said well is he uh, is he among the living and she said no and I said, well, where is he? What? And she said, he's in the rocking chair. What? And it's 6 o'clock at night. I said, when did he die? She said, 10 o'clock this morning. I said, so in the last eight hours, have you called his sisters? Have you called the police? to? Obviously, the body yeah, is still there. Dead but like, so what's been happening in the eight hours? And you can guess the punchline. Nothing? She's been painting oh, the no! piano. Yes, no! she's been painting the piano. Yes. No. Yes. <laughs> that is that what she's been doing. That cannot be true. I know. Wow. So I had to call the family and say, hey, uh, dad has died. Uh, 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 in good news, the piano has a fresh it's coat of paint <laughs> on it. But I had been telling that story for years and thinking like, oh, what a laugh. And it's not that funny. No. You know, it's really I'm laughing with you now. Right. But I never I never recognized the sickness in it oh. until I was writing and I w this was writing a memoir was like 5 years of therapy. It was wow. I would sit there and I would like cry and I would remember things differently and I would and that was the richness of the story for me. That was yeah. where I really dug in deep and felt a lot of emotion and listen the stuff with my daughter was nice you know you'll right. you'll 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 hear what the pantheon in rome looked like in right. full detail and what the vendors looked like and that's pleasant but you know what's really interesting did Reading... she let the dude sit for eight hours and painted a piano that's really interesting is it no but, but <laughs> is there more no what's what's interesting is when you read when i read the amazon reviews it's split, you know. Some people oh. are like, "Oh, I loved all the flashbacks," and I, I didn't really, you know, the part about Europe was fine, but oh, the flashbacks about the six, the seventies and eighties were just so, so wonderful. And then other people are like, "Oh, for God's sakes, I, I wanted to hear about Paris, not all about her dysfunctional family." And I thought, "Wow." A lot of people liked both, but right. it's funny to hear the yeah. split of, of people who. I think that's yeah. Unfortunately, now that's reality with the and it's i don't think it's much different my my philosophy is it's not much different people have always kind of been split but now everybody has a voice and everybody has a way to say it right so we hear about it more often yeah and but. my my favorite one my favorite review is somebody said i thought we'd hear more about korea and i thought there was nothing about korea what do you mean more about korea there's nothing about korea it's called we'll always have paris and the blurb on the back says they travel to 12 european cities what are you talking about? Huh. That's not in 
Korea is not in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> we met some Korean people. Oh, okay. Maybe that's what they're hoping for. Maybe. Maybe. That was a good story. <laughs> and you say, it's funny because I feel a little bad because I deal with most things through through humor and disbelief, but that is so beyond the pale jacked up that she painted the piano before she called anyone. Uh-huh. I mean, I can't even put that, I can't even frame that in a logical semblance of reality. I can't. I know. My my <laughs> poor dad, as he is sitting there, the last images of his life are like her putting on overalls and and, <laughs> and putting and on her cloth. painter's skin. Yeah, drop yeah. cloth, right. Exactly. Wow. Wow, no easy segue from that, uh, <laughs> but I'm going to try. Tell me about So Say We All, some live storytelling oh, you so do say or do. We all do you is... still do it? Is it? Yeah, okay. actually, we're coming back to the Whistle Stop oh. this Thursday oh. at 7.30, 8 o'clock. You know what? It's this every... won't be out by then. Okay, so let me just start again okay. and say So Say We All is a wonderful nonprofit organization where people tell true stories live at the Whistle Stop, and they are... It, there's a theme every month, but the stories are so varied. You can have these deeply painful, poetically told stories, and then hilarious, and then some are the, the best ones are are both both right, both moving. And, and the whistle is this every, is it weekly, monthly? Monthly. It's monthly? the last Thursday of every month at the Whistle Stop in South Park. Oh, and awesome. it's and it's five dollars and. It, you know what I, I love about it is you leave there reminded that you cannot make assumptions about people based yeah. on the way they look. You, The five foot ten, drop-dead gorgeous woman is not going to tell you about her modeling career. She's going to tell you <laughs> about the time her brother committed suicide. Right. And the Muslim girl with the hijab on is not necessarily going to tell you about how difficult it is to live in America in in post 9-11 Islamophobic um, times. Right. She's going to tell you about a food fight that she had in sixth grade. Nice. So it's, it's a wonderful um, reminder of that. Whistle stop. Yeah. All right. I'm going to keep an eye out for it. Now, do you perform every month at So Save? Oh, or... no, no, no. It's, okay. it's, um, I've done 10 stories okay. there in the last three years oh wow yeah so is it like the comedy store you get on the list and so it's curated which means you have to submit your story oh, it has okay. to be accepted okay. if you are accepted they put you through a three-week boot camp where you get a um a performance coach a writing coach and you also are in a cohort and the cohort gives you feedback um during a critique session and it is absolutely holy cow and it, it, it's invaluable i'm gonna do it it's, i'm gonna do it it's fantastic i'm gonna do it good now you're gonna see me at the whistle stall i i look forward to it okay i'm gonna i'm gonna May tell a story about my dad who passed away in a rocking chair and his ex-wife <laughs> <laughs> i will kill you i will kill you yeah and then next and month i will tell the story about how i killed a man with my bare hands at a at a whistle stop <laughs> So um, now also you spent some time with Reality Changers. Tell me uh, how you got inspired and hooked up with that and what they do. So Reality Changers, again, another nonprofit organization in San Diego, and they support uh, high school students who are working to become the first in their families to attend college and graduate from college. I love this organization with all my heart. I joined 
about seven years ago when my daughter left for college. I was extremely involved with her college application I process. Can't you can't imagine? No, I was a total tiger mom. Yes, I can't, Im I can't yeah, imagine. It's shocking to you, huh? <laughs> so I know I was really involved, and, um, and thank God she was open to it. And we had a wonderful time with it. And in the process, I learned a lot about how to, to apply and what, mis what were common mistakes mm -hmm. and what are some things that should and should not be done. And I thought, and, and, and as I was working with my daughter, I thought, yeah, this is all great that we can support her in this way. But what about students whose parents didn't go to college and do not necessarily have the resources for an SAT tutor, for um, an essay writing coach, yes. who do not have hours and hours and hours to prep them for interviews. H how do they do? How do they do it? And is this fair? I mean, how can they be? Well, it's definitely not fair. It's definitely not fair. Right. So how do I? How do I take my absolute love of? working with kids how do I take my passion for social justice and how do I take this knowledge that I have acquired and put it together and serve youth and this is this is what I do and you know and I went in seven years ago thinking like oh this is great I will help and wow that is just um, I have helped but it has helped me yeah. so much um, in understanding uh, just an understanding what these kids' lives are like, what different experiences are like. I've talked to kids who are refugees. I've talked oh, wow. to kids who have been through um, extremely difficult circumstances. I have heard and, and studied racism, but to be eyeball to eyeball with a child who is telling you the racist things that their counselor has told them is a life-changing experience yeah. for me and helps me be a better um advocate a better person really yeah well i think when people talk about i think the term white privilege is conflated with way too many things but i think that one of the things is that and i won't even necessarily say white i'll say class privilege just for the sake of this debate people don't know if your parents have never been to college you don't know how to fill out an application you don't know how to write an essay you don't know that there is a process you don't know that there are resources out there you just don't know it's just completely foreign to you so the more the more people who aren't exposed to that we can get exposed to that is just a wonderful thing i'm all in yeah and uh and now that i've been doing it a couple of years a lot of my students have graduated and now nice. they're in grad school and they're applying i'm working with one of my students that i've kept in touch with his uh applying to medical school now wow. and it's just a joy to see how effective this this program works that's awesome and the website uh realitychangers.org okay. and I'm, I'm a volunteer there so okay. everything that i say should not be uh i am not a spokesperson for okay. the organization Fair. i'm telling you about my experience there Fair. And that's uh, that's good. Everybody check it out because I I grew up in South Shore in a very depressed area as well and in Chicago. And there's just people who never see the elevator. You know, they never see, forget learning how to navigate it. They just they don't even know there's an elevator or steps. And the more people we can teach the steps, the better. And I'll tell you, um, it, it sounds cliche to say I've learned as much from them as they it have does from sound me. A bit it cliche. does. It and and it is. But, um, but let me tell you how. Um, I had a student, Martha, and she got into UCSD, and she called me at the same time when I was thinking, boy, should I write a historical novel? 
am I smart enough? Do I know how to do any research? Am I good enough to do this? I don't know. I don't think I am. And I'm grappling with all this imposter syndrome. So Martha calls me just out of the blue and says, hey, Jennifer, I am walking across campus right now to go to office hours because you always told me to go to office hours even before, even if I wasn't having a problem just to go and engage with my professor and you told me to do that and you told me it was important and I'm walking across the campus right now and I just have one question. And I said, what is it, Martha? And she said, what am I supposed to do when I get there? (laughs) And I thought, now, if she... Like, she doesn't know what she's doing either. Right. And she is literally walking toward the unknown and figuring it out as she goes along. Am I going to get this 19-year-old kid show me? Like, she right, doesn't right. know what she's doing. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to be inspired by Martha, and I'm going to do – I'm going to go ahead and do it too. So um, – I'm in. So cause... these kids totally are inspiring. Like, when you see what they're up, what they're up against and what they just say, like, I'm going to do it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the old put one foot in front of the other. And once you start doing that, and soon you'll be walking across the floor. Right. Uh, but but if if what has been in front of your feet have yeah. been cliffs, yes. um, you, yeah. you are hesitant to put one foot in front Absolutely. of the other. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So the idea that you can take a kid and show them how if you do this, then you can do this, and you may be able to do this – is so good, and I think it's so underused in this country, in the world. Well, one of the things, you know, we talk about being economically disadvantaged, and obviously it is better to have resources. However, there are are benefits to growing up with with, uh, limited resources, and I'll tell you what, what it is. My... The kids that I have worked with at Reality Changers, they don't leave a crumb on the table. They yeah. don't take anything for granted, and everything is in, every opportunity that growing up a middle class kid growing up and like yeah maybe I'll do it maybe I, they are they are on it. They know the value of it. They know how to value it, and um, and they are ready to they are ready to they are not going to squander anything. Yeah, that's and that's yeah. Okay, I mean, right now you're converting the converted or preaching to the converted or whatever the saying is because I'm a, I'm in, but I just wish more people at all economic angles of the or all parts of the economic spectrum would see it. You know, the from the from the most privileged to the least privileged would just see what we're talking about in terms of providing exposure and resources and support across for everybody and and how people digest it differently how well it, and also for people who have who are economically advantaged yeah. it would be a good opportunity for them to come to um to these communities and not to help not to be a savior right but to to look because they've got a lot to teach us too yes, absolutely. i mean i i talked to a student who was on his way to college and he said he was really struggling with you know am i gonna Am I going to make it? Do you think they just picked me as a diversity candidate? Yeah. And I yep. said, I said nobody's doing you any favors. You have a lot to teach these. You have a lot to teach these other kids. Yeah. They, you have a lot to learn from them. They have a lot to learn from you. That's what this is all about. And I'll tell you a quick story, if if I may. Sure. Okay. Although I'll say, who cares if you're a diversity pick? Who cares once you're once you're in? Do the work and get there. Well, but go on. 
a, a diversity a diversity I mean I understand the baggage a diversity candidate does not mean that anybody cut you a right. break right. it means that they decided that it was yes. in the best interest yep. of their university exactly. to enrich the experience of every Everybody single there. student there by adding um, diverse voices diversity, right yeah. absolutely so quick quick story my daughter grew up like solidly middle class we're not rich we're not poor so she went to MIT and she oh, was um, in this calculus class one day in the first week and they said the t the professor said we are going to review differential equations and you could see half of the lecture hall just say mm -hmm. what the heck is that and that was the public school kids and right. then the other class they had the class saying oh yes you know we learned that at Andover we learned right. that at um, um, Choate we learned that at all of the, out of our fancy private schools <laughs> um, so 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 I, Katie huddled together with a group of the kid a group of kids and, and they, they were like we don't know what we don't know what this is we don't know and she said why don't we go to that group of kids who have those nice shoes over there and <laughs> ask they all seem to be nodding as if test. yes as if this this is a um this is a um, review so she walks over and she said hey you guys seem to understand you seem to agree that differential equations are something that you want to review and they were like yes yes we are and they said can you teach us like we don't know what that is can you come over and teach us that they said we'd be happy to can you teach us something too please because we um have a lot of laundry that we <laughs> don't know like we know that there's a machine and we get that you're supposed to stick money in it but like how do you wow what what do you, I, there i heard of something my our, our maid talks about separating and that and where do you put the detergent and like we kind of get how it works but we have never done our own laundry before so with not with neither thing being of of greater or lesser value right katie's middle class and poor friends taught the kids how, how to, to do, do laundry. laundry and they taught them differential equations and there was no snobbery there was no judgment awesome. it was just that's awesome. as it should be that is awesome all right we're gonna take my last commercial break and then we're gonna go out with a flurry of personal hopefully amusing entertaining stuff if you can rise to that occasion probably not probably not. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna go we're gonna end with some droll uh depressing conversation yeah. <laughs> Reverting into the past. Now, today, we're going to go to Retro Sports on Fletcher Parkway. They do all of your sports teams need equipment, uniforms, silk screening, anything you need for team sports or individual sports. Jacob at Retro Sports. Hey, sports fans, what do Billie Eilish, Travis Scott, and me have in common? Jacob Oberon Retro Sports has done our gear. That's right, he's done gear for bands, teams, sports, schools. You have a need, he can fill it, I promise. They do embroidery, screen printing, tackle twill, heat press, and if you have an organization, they will build you a spirit website. You can do it for your school or your team, whatever you have going on. He posts it all, they order it, he makes it, and you get money. You share in the profits. It's free, check it out. They'll do your letterman's jacket, fitness equipment, whatever you need. And when you go in there, make sure you tell them that Tony on the mic sent you in. To Jacob Ober, great in the community. Outstanding product and service. Check out Retro Sports, retrosports.net, and 9100 Fletcher Parkway in La Mesa.
I love Jacob at Retro Sports. He's awesome. And we're back. I am joined today by the hilarious author of the screamingly funny book about women in bondage in Nazi Germany. Wow. Forced to have children. It's a laugh a minute, folks. Uh, <laughs> I just, you look like you're going to say something. No, no, no? I, I think that says it all. I think that sums it up. That book's not that funny, to be honest. Is there humor in it? You know what? There is. There is. is there? there is lightness, and there is humor, and there is love, and oh. there is and there is friendship. But it is, you know, obviously, in, in Nazi Germany, right. there is a backdrop of of tragedy. Yeah. No, that's a, tough to make a funny story. Well, the <laughs> hypocrisy of the Nazi Party is, uh, if it weren't so tragic, yes. it would be. It would be funny. It it, it would. It would be a parody if you were telling me this and I didn't know that it actually happened. I would laugh as like a dark comedy because nothing could be that dark. And, and I'll tell you, um, we were talking earlier about the swatches, uh, the skin color, and yeah. the hair color and the eye color swatches. Um, and when I showed an editor an early copy of this, she was about to tell me that that was too over the top until she went to the Holocaust Museum and saw, and saw his it. actual wow. racial um, racial measuring racial screening tools wow that is crazy well that's the uplifting hilarious lead-in i want to this next part well i hope you know what i have to say i hope the book is uplifting it's not a depressing right. book you it's, know it, it's not i mean it, it from what you're saying i mean it's it's a it's okay the example i can give it you remember the movie juno about yeah the, yeah you know, mm -hmm. and everybody said oh it glorifies teenage pregnancy or whatever it just told a story right. of someone who coped with and dealt with it the way they could and it's the same with the, it sounds like in your story the three women who coped with it in three different ways mm -hmm. and and i'm i'm gonna read it i'm Good. gonna, I'm gonna buy it oh thank I'm you i'm gonna buy it mama needs that money <laughs> is there a way i can buy it directly from you and that way you get all the profits instead of <laughs> i no, i really appreciate it and i'll get you a review copy when it comes out in september 2022 okay my birthday's in September. Uh, well, then, so then. It'll early birthday present. I know what I'm getting you. <laughs> um, okay, so this last one, last segment I usually do is just uh, just have a little fun, talk about silly stuff, and test your memory a little bit on this one. Do you remember your first crush? Finn O'Lee. Now, you just passed the litmus test. Because a true crush, a true early crush, you never say their first name without their last name. So whenever you remember, like if you said, oh, it was Johnny. Then I'll be, eh, I don't know. But when you give a first and a last name, then you know it's a first, uh, a true crush. How, how old were you? I was 10. 10. He was amazing. He had <laughs> a mop of red hair and freckles all over his face and always carried a basketball, uh, even when there was no court Oh, around. Finn. Dreamboat Finn. Oh, he was dreamy. <laughs> Your first kiss? Finn only. Finn? Yeah. Nah, yeah. How long after the crush? Um, about a year. I think he was, uh, we, we went together right. as, as much as 10-year-olds right. can. And I believe Greg Barrett bullied him into kissing me. Um, I think he, I think Finn wanted to, but Thank didn't you, really. Thank you, Greg. Hey, you know what? Not that I'm in favor of peer pressure in any way in terms of. <laughs> it was, it was underneath the green apple tree in Camp St. Regis wow. in 1977. Wow. And he missed my lips and got my cheek, and it was still just delightful. <laughs> uh, first date? 
first date? Oh, that was Andrew Schneider. Mm. That was in seventh grade. What a cutie. I'm still in touch with him, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, good That's friend. awesome. Yeah, very good That friend. is awesome. Mm-hmm. I st- I'm still in touch with my first kiss, um, but I, I, have to, I can't remember my first date. Well, my first date, my, par- my mom and my grandmother, I told them I'm going to go on a date to Rockefeller Center. We're going ice skating. And they said, oh, oh, no, you are not. <laughs> and they said, we have to meet him first. And then when he showed up at the house and he was all of, you know, five five feet with all that curly hair and his cute little dimples. Yeah. And, ugh, adorable. They were done. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, I'm sure now your husband's number one, but Finn or what's his name? First date guy, Andrew, Andrew, Andrew Schneider, Finn or Finn or Andrew, and they're in their prime. In, what do you mean? Like in the moment, like Finn at ten or Andrew at thirteen. 13. What what's the what do I do with which the one choice? is which shines brighter in the pantheon of memories? I think I think Andrew. Okay. I mean Andrew was, yeah, just Andrew. a little further along and just a little further. No nothing. No disrespect to Finn. He holds a special. I'm place. team Finn. He's, <laughs> he held a special place in my heart, but my God, I'm still in touch with Andrew. I know his wife and his daughter. That's and, awesome. And um, yeah. Okay, so Finn, if you hear this, come on, man, you got to fight back. I'm Team well, Finn. I don't know. I don't know what happened to him. Every time I ask his sister on Facebook whatever happened to Finn, she never responds. Oh, so did you break his heart? No. Did you? Did you break? You broke his heart. I did not break his heart. I he think moved. You broke his heart. He moved. We were in New York, and he moved to Moraga, California. See, sisters protect brothers, so. Yeah, I think Finn's over it. I don't know. I think he may be in prison. <laughs> is what oh. I think. I don't know. Wow. I, well, what do you? What's the big secret? Okay, I'm Finn? writing a book in search of Finn. Finn O'Lee. And we're gonna where find are him out. you? <laughs> we're gonna find him. Okay, you say you like all kinds of music, even country. Mm-hmm. Now, tell me, uh, tell me a country song you like. I love Sarah Petit. We shouldn't be doing this. Okay, you sing a part of it. It's so achy breaky. I don't sing achy, well. Breaky heart. Oh, it's so. It's like she's like she, she says all the like meow, 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 and then she. But I forget. It sounds like a wait, terrible wait, hold song on, hold on, so hold on. far. The good, the chorus is shouldn't be doing this. Shouldn't be doing this, and you just know there's lust. They're doing it. They're, oh, they're, pff, please! I think they already did it. Yeah. We shouldn't be doing this. We shouldn't be doing this. But but it's just like I just love that forbidden. Huh. I'm gonna find it and put it on in the background. It's here. beautiful. It sounds like it. And you say you like rap? Give me a rap song. Well, uh, we, we we were talking about old school rap. Yeah. I like old stuff. I like Biggie. I like I like Biggie, Biggie, Biggie. Can't you see? <laughs> I like. I just you know okay. I just like. I, I, right there. Yeah. The go-to is like Sugar Hill Gang, or we could do a little Sublime. We'll do a Sugar Hill. Do give me some Sugar Hill Gang. Okay. Um. Hip. I said hop. The hip. The hip. 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 hip, 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 hip you don't stop. Rock it out, baby. Bubba to the boogity bang bang. The rhythm of the boogity beat. Now what you hear is not a test. I'm rapping to the beat. And me, the groove, and my friends are going to try to move your feet. You see, I am Wonder Mike, and I'd like to say hello to the white, to the black, the red, and the brown, the purple, and yellow. But first, I got to bang, bang. See, I could go, I could go all day. There's a 14-minute version, and I know it all. So, so I could do. I could do some Sugar Hill Gang. Classical? Give me a classical song. Or an artist. Mozart, Sonata Number 12. Wow, that's specific. Yeah. 
How does that go? Do I will I know that? If You'll I hear know it? it. You'll definitely know it. Okay. Because right now when you're listening, because you're gonna listen to this, right? Yeah. A lot of people don't. They just record them and they don't listen. Those people are assholes. That's what I'm saying. Right? You come here, you do Tony's podcast, yeah. you better sit down better and listen, listen to it. They download, which is, you know, the most important thing. But listening is important, too. But you're going to hear Mozart number 12. And we're, hey, hang on. Oh, there it is. I recognize it. <laughs> Make sure I got it right. And uh, let's see. How about uh, rock and roll? I love. Artist or a song? I love. I don't know if does this count. Does Neil Young count as? Um, That'd be a classic, little classic, classic uh, oldish. Oh man, run. look at my life. I'm a lot like you were. You were not lying when you said you're a bad singer. Wow. <laughs> I'm not listening to this podcast. <laughs> Maybe you're just doing your auto tune. Oh, uh, what about punk? I don't like punk. No punk. Okay. What about new wave? Punk. You know what I don't like about punk? I always feel like I'm going to get hurt. Yeah. No, it's angry music. What? They sound right. It just sounds like they're screaming. It sounds yeah. like a garbage truck going by. Um, uh, New Wave? Yeah, you know, I mean, I guess like, like you can dance if you want to. You can leave your friends behind. That sounds exactly like Neil Young. Yeah. <laughs> hey. I, you know what? That reminds me of like those things, like the safety dance. Um, we can dance just, if we want to. You can leave your friends behind because your friends, friends don't, don't dance. And if they, they don't, don't dance, dance with well, no friends of mine. Well, yeah, I feel like one of those white people who are like, I like rap. And they're like, name a song. Like, oh, um, you know that one about. um. I like this. big butts and I cannot lie. You, you other brothers, brothers can't deny. Then when, when a girl walks in with an itty bitty waist and a round thing, thing in your face, you get sprung. Right. right. Okay. So now here we are. We're, I'm proving my point. Yes. Okay. Let me just keep it 100, yes. as my kids say. <laughs> yes. I don't know what the I got. I'm sorry. I don't know what I'll the. Be I don't know what I'm talking about. I gave you batshit crazy, but I'm not giving you that for it. I don't know what the batshit <laughs> I'm talking about. Uh, all I can say on this show is batshit. Favorite shit. Beatles song? Uh, um, in My Life. Okay. Uh, I love that. And I also love, well, that's John Lennon. No, In My Life. Yeah, In My Life. I just feel like I want that song played at my funeral. Oh, wow. Neil Young versus James Taylor. Oof. Um... James Taylor for his, I like Neil Young, I like some of Neil Young's song, but when I like a Neil Young song, I like it deeper than I like a James Taylor song, okay. but I like more of James Taylor's I, I, I get it. James Taylor. It's a, it's a James Taylor's versus... the cream, the, supreme, the, 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 the whipped cream topping, the nice thing, but if you want a nice deep piece of cheesecake or something really satisfying that's going to get down in there, then it's uh, Neil Young. Yes. Okay. Yep. Um, who's your favorite Jenner? Ugh, I I'm hate them all. I hate them all. <laughs> I, you know who my favorite Jenner is? The Jenner-eating virus. The Jen <laughs> I hate that family. Um, how about the Kardashians? I, that's the same damn family. I know. I was just testing you. Fam, same fam, family. No, I do too. It's it's absurd. They are a waste. I they I are, They agree. contribute nothing except stupidity and 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 they promote consumerism and materialism and. Oh, I can go one further. I said the other day there was a woman on television and I said I hate that this has become the standard of beauty, and it all looks exactly that Jenner Kardashian look with the 
the Botox lips and the uh, enhanced cheeks and, and just and I don't find it attractive. I don't find it pleasing. They are the grossest family, and and it's millions of people want to be them. They're that's, just the to be, that's the worst. That's the worst. That's the worst. Okay, let's see. How many Jack in the Box tacos could you eat at one sitting? Okay, um, could I? So we're looking for the max. Yes. Um, I could. I could probably eat twelve if I was really hungry. Yeah. Put down a dozen. Comfortably, probably like eight. Okay. What's the most you have ever eaten? Four. Four. Yeah. Okay. And as we come down to the wire, you have committed a capital crime. You have been convicted and sentenced to death in the electric chair, and you are going to get a last movie, a last meal, and then they're going to put the headphones on, song is going to play you into the abyss. What is your choice for the meal, choice for the movie, choice for the song? Okay, I am going to have a takeout order from Sushi Ota, their yellow tail double-double roll and a mixed sashimi. Okay. That's delicious. It is amazing. And as far as the movie, I'm going to go for some old home movies of my daughter, Katie, uh, watching her as a baby, learning how to walk, watching her roller skate. No, no, no. That's the movie. No. That's the movie. If you don't pick, you get Porky's 2, The Revenge of Porky. Oh, then I'm going to pull the lever myself and let you... (laughs) As soon as I finish that sushi ota. Okay. No, I want to watch that. Okay, so I have to watch a commercial film? Okay. Idiocracy. You know why? Because then I'll be like, yeah. Good. Good. Right. I'm out. Yeah. That's what I will drop the mic and I will say, y'alls are batshit. Yeah. (laughs) Because that's the only curse I'm allowed to say on Tony's show. That is true. (laughs) And then the song? And if you don't choose, you get We Built This City on Rock and Roll. That's a by... great song. Of course I would listen to it. All right. Um, so I would listen to one of my fa- My father was a musician and a lyricist. Was it released? Yes, it was released. Okay, I, have a, right. I have a gold record hanging on. Really? Yes. Well, I talk about burying the lead. It was a big scandal. In ho- it was the number two song of the wow. 1970s in Holland. And I'll tell you a quick a very quick story. My daughter and I were in Amsterdam, and we went into this place called Second Life, Second Life Records, a vinyl shop. And I said, look for the Mighty Sparrow. And the, the album, I don't know what the album is called, but it's the Mighty Sparrow, and his song is called Only a Fool. And, you know, in the movie version of this, we, we search for weeks and right, right, finally right. find it at the end. But in the real life, she goes, this one? And ah. she... Um, picked it and so i'd listen to that i don't like i don't like the mighty sparrows cover of it but your rules are so damn strict tony it just has to be anything released that's not strict well they didn't release it with his voice yeah all right i'll I'll allow a cover of a released song because the and the problem is i'll tell you why it's a logistics thing because then anybody who doesn't say i'd watch old home movies or i'd listen to my daughter play guitar or something then you then you're the jerk if you don't say it once, once you allow it, then oh, everybody, ha- you know what I mean. Right. So if anybody says, "Yeah, I'd watch Green Mile," or "I'd watch West Side Story," or whatever, and they're like, "Yeah, Jennifer Coburn watched her kid." I guess right. you don't like your <laughs> you, kid, right? right exactly. Sure. Yeah. If you, if you if you loved your children, that's what you would pick. But. <laughs> all right. So the song. All right. So. <laughs> I, I, well, I guess in my life, yeah. Okay. I that's guess I listen to it in my life. That's a valid, that's a very valid and worthy selection. See, that's not so hard. Well, 
was a little difficult. Okay, you can listen to the Mighty Sparrows. So they didn't re- really. Now this is your your dad. You said yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, you know Dang, of we... the rocking chair. Yes, <laughs> and the the white freshly white painted piano. Yes. All right, that's all I got. That's all I got. I want you to give a chance to pop uh, your website. What do you got? It's jennifercoburn.com. And I would love it if people could put Cradles of the Reich on their Goodreads want to read list. Okay. I will do that as soon as we're off the show. Cradles of the Reich. Right. And that's September 2022. Right now, that's the release date. Are you done, by the way? I'm done. Okay. So it's it's out there. Now it's being processed and going through the machine. It's being proofread. It's not not near a machine yet, but it's being proofread. A cover is being designed. I just mean the... Mach- not the oh, machine. Oh, right, I gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. The machinery is yes, is in work. the wheels are in motion. Nice. That's gonna be exciting. It's really exciting. It's really exciting because I'll tell you, a year ago, I was sitting there going, "Does anybody give a bat shit about this? <laughs> Does anybody? Is this gonna? Do, am I the only person who thinks this is a fascinating story? There's at least two of us. All right, because well, I think it's fascinating. Thank you. All right, my guest today has been. Uh, Jennifer Coburn, all of her singing impressions sound exactly alike, from hey, Men Without Hats hey. to James Taylor to, uh, who was the other guy you did? Um, Neil Young. When you listen to this, you're going to sing that all your guys sound alike. No, I never did James Taylor. Okay, you did not do James I did Neil Young. And I did Sarah Men Without Petite Hats. And D- Men Without Hats, Safety yeah. Dance, yeah. yeah. Well, I thought they were all... And then your um, Sir Mix-a-Lot yeah. sounded exactly like... You're a one-trick pony when it comes hey, to singing. <laughs> wow. This is a tough interview. Hey, we don't pull punches. This is real journalism here. This Put is... in your big big girl pants and sit down and take the heat. This is <laughs> crazy. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, you can find me at TonyOnTheMic.com. Tony on the mic at Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, the TikToks. I, I've secured the domain. I haven't actually TikToked yet, but I promised my kids I'm going to TikTok one day. And with that, I want to thank my guest, Jennifer Coburn. Say goodbye to the folks, Jennifer. Goodbye to the folks. <laughs> thank you. Tony in the Mesa. The Mesa. Outro. 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 Outro.